Welcome to the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. It's a new month and a new theater season, and this is our September preview, with a record 23 shows mentioned. A couple of quick reminders. We have merch, coffee mugs and tote bags printed with some of your favorite Maximu-isms. Any proceeds from the merch will go to upgrading our equipment, so buy a tote bag and directly contribute to sweetening our sound in your ears. You can get to our merch store from Maximu.com. If you listen and enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy the show. We are finally into the fall. Hopefully we're at the tail end of this hot weather. No, we're not at all. Oh, God. You know how it goes in New York. It'll be like October, it'll start to get brisk. And then November, it'll be freezing. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for bringing in all that optimism. <laughs> Let me be clear. To the I'm, table I'm on very this excited. Sunday morning. I'm excited for September because this is when everything kicks into high gear in the theater world. Exactly. I have a list of eleven shows I could talk about. Mm. I don't. I won't wow. talk about. I, I narrowed it down to my three primary shows. Yeah. But there are so many shows I'm excited about. My September is already pretty much booked. Like just about every night, full of shows. Oh, Jack. without and it's not even September yet, and I'm, I will add more somehow. Your schedule is so intense. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Okay, let's start with a <laughs> round of introductions, Jose. Jose Solis from Stage Buddy. Jack. Uh, this is Jack Moore, the literary associate at the Public Theater. But you know what? When I'm here, my views are my own. <laughs> That's right, and I'm Lindsay, the podcast editor. Okay, we're here to preview September. Let's get started. You want to start, Jack? Oh, sure. Um, okay, so I'm doing a mix of uh, new and old, since it's the beginning of any uh, fall season in New York is when all the new plays are coming to town, as well as sort of big, splashy revivals of things, um, of contemporary stuff, but also classic stuff. So what should I begin with? I think I'm going to begin with the old. Um, so we, uh, on September 12th, are coming up on a very interesting anniversary in both the American theater and in New York theater specifically. In the September of 1866, in New York, uh, the Academy of Music, that was uh, a concert hall and dance hall here in New York, uh, burned to the ground. And so uh, the a Broadway, a theater in the sort of Broadway area called Niblo's Garden and its manager, William Wheatley, offered to take a ballet company that was going to be performing at this uh, Academy of Music and house them um, in, in this uh, Broadway-ish type theater. He adapted the ballet's performance with a, an American um, play. And legend has it that when this combination happened and original music was written for it, that this was the beginning, this was the birth of the American musical. The musical was called The Black Crook, and it's this sort of fantastical tale, very pastiche, uh, that involves uh, young lovers and a, a sorcerer who is sort of Mephistopheles-y. He is the uh, titular black crook, not to do with color, but in deed, let's say. And this was an incredible, it ran forever um, in 1866 and was revived later in the 19th century. And it had like, it was like five hours long and it had like a hundred performers on it, uh, it on, on stage at a given time. And so this was considered to be the very first book musical ever in America and is largely why this country is credited with birthing this art form that we now, that now populates our stages today. So, at the Abrams Art Center, uh, this September, on uh, the 150th anniversary of the show's premiere, uh, Joshua William Gelb, who is a performance artist and 
sort of uh, devised theater maker, uh, is doing a new adaptation of The Black Crook um, that is going to feature uh, elements of the original score. There will, they will not be five hours long, and there will not be 100 people on stage. It's going to be like about eight actor musicians uh, sort of uh, re-engaging with this uh, not very often performed and often forgotten classic, this piece of musical theater history. Um, so I'm very excited to see what it is. I know very little about what they're actually going to do uh, with this musical, um, but I hope that they are uh, going to give us at least snippets of what it might have been like to witness this uh, this sort of birth of an art form. So if you're a musical theater fan, yes, you can go see all the brand new musicals that are coming to Broadway and off-Broadway, but if you go down to the Abrams Arts Center on the Lower East Side, you can also, you know, sort of complete your sort of uh, your musical theater nerddom by seeing the very first American musical. That's pretty fascinating. Right? I mean, yeah. I was just reading up on the history of this um, this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically, it, it combined the idea of mixing, you know, original music, dance, and playwriting um, into one art form. And I don't, from everything I've read about the original performance of The Black Crook, like, it wasn't necessarily elegantly done, but <laughs> it was enough of a, a phenomenon that it, it ran forever. It was, it ran for, I think, like 500 performances, which... In those days, for something brand new and kind of experimental, is is pretty landmark, I have to say. Um, so yeah, cool, Jose. That sounds pretty exciting. I think the show that I'm most excited about uh, in September is a show that they're doing at Repertorio Español. Um, first of all, I realized that I have never seen a Spanish musical, and I'm like, huh. And like Spanish is my, my native tongue. And I was like, wait a second. So anyway, uh, there's this guy called Vico C, who is often uh, referred to as a philosopher of rap. He's from Puerto Rico. And I remember his music all the way back to like 1992. And he, he was like the godfather of like reggaeton and Spanish rap and Spanish hip hop. So Repertorio Español commissioned uh, a musical that, he'll be, uh, that he wrote and opens on September 23rd. The story sounds very, uh, I don't know, like traditional. It's about a kid growing up in the Bronx with his grandma who wants to be like a reggaeton artist. But the fact that uh, it's going to be brand new music by Fico C has me very excited. If you go on, on YouTube uh, or anywhere really, or Spotify or whatever, you can get a, a sense of what his music sounds like. It's very, it's very 90s. And uh, after being like very overtly like sexual and you know like like a rap and hip hop artist in the 90s, he went the Christian route and he started doing Christian reggaeton. Oh, Christian reggaeton! Yeah. But this musical won't be a Christian reggaeton musical. But it's it's it will be the first Spanish musical that I'll be seeing ever. So. I'm um, a tiny bit disappointed that it's not a Christian reggaeton musical because I would totally... <laughs> although we are just coming out of the Fringe Festival, so maybe that's why that idea excites me, but that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm also really excited because the guy who wrote the book, um, apparently he also wrote a musical about the life of Celia Cruz, which I never got to see, but it played in New York a few years ago, and yeah. then it went to Europe and the rest of Latin America. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, tropical music on stage, yay. I, I love Repertorio Español, um, and for those listeners who are not Spanish speakers, um, if you go to the Repertorio Español when you sit in the seats, the seat backs in front of you have little screens. And for the longest time, I'd see like readings there that were in English, and I didn't know what they were for. And it's because, I don't think they do this for every performance, but occasionally they will do... Um, uh, subtitle translations if they do stuff if they do plays in Spanish the, the seat back in front of you will 
be the subtitles in English. Just like the Met. Exactly. Wow. And, and That's then I, very sophisticated. And I believe the reverse is true when they do English language plays, is that they, you can then, if you're a Spanish speaker, you can go see it and have the Spanish uh, subtitles there. Do we know if this musical will be subtitled? We, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I'm, uh, it probably will be. And it's probably going to be done in Spanglish, I would assume, because mm. if it's set in the Bronx. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Oh, oh, one. Can I go back for one second? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I want to channel David Levy because I always, every time he's on the podcast and he talks about when the dates of the shows are and the prices, yes. I want to make sure I'm doing that. So if I'm going to go back to the Black Crook for a second, I want to say that uh, it's running from September 17th to October 7th, and tickets are $25 at the Aprons Art Center. There. Cool. Good job. Thanks. Way to be comprehensive. <laughs> Okay, I want to talk about Underground Railroad Game from our friends at Ars Nova. As we have explored on the podcast previously, Ars Nova is on a hell of a roll. So whatever new show they have coming up, I'm interested in. But this one particularly so, it sounds totally crazy, actually. (laughs) It is created by two artists, Jennifer Kidwell and Scott Shepard. Jennifer Kidwell is an actress and a theater artist, and Scott Shepard is also the same, but also a teacher. And I want to be clear that this is not Scott Shepard of Elevator Repair Service fame. This is a different individual. That I did not realize that distinction until yesterday when I was researching this. (laughs) Thank God for research. I thought that he was involved in this project, and I was a little like, that seems weird. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, um, this is based on an experience that Shepard had as a school teacher where they tried to really engage and enliven history for their students, and they made an entire category of participatory learning around the Civil War. And the description sounds a little, I don't know, nuts, to be totally honest. It's a fifth grade class. It was a fifth grade class that he taught. And the school's Civil War thematic unit um, involved a temporary immersion that Shepard calls a pedagogical extravaganza as teachers flexed and strained their creative muscles to get even the lazies and troublemakers excited about learning. His class was divided into two warring factions, Confederate and Union soldiers. What? And they would wage a civil war of learning, rewriting history as they explored it. Each side would receive points for their military strategy, and one of the key point-scoring exercises was the underground, underground railroad game a game in which, each, in which each side had to either secure or impede the passage of two black dolls through cardboard boxes oh marked safe house, God. one in each classroom. <laughs> Union students would get five points for every new safe house that a doll reached, and if a slave made it to every box, he or she became a free person crossing oh. into a symbolic Canada. I mean, that just sounds totally bonkers. What the <laughs> hell is that? And this was actually... This was actually what he was teaching in his school class. And um, so I wanted... So, but I think that the lead artist here is Jennifer Kidwell, who mm-hmm. I want to say is an African-American woman. So I think that, you know, we can be assured that this is not a group of white artists. Scott himself is white, but exploring the Underground Railroad. And it's that being, you know, developed in connection with Ars Nova, who I think um, we have seen address serious pro- topics in the past. 
So I think that this production is in some ways a dramatization of this game. I don't know how much interactivity there is, but I think there is some. Um, I do suspect that the audience is divided into two groups, and the way it's described is the nimble, nimble duo goes round after round on the mat of our nation's history tackling race and power in this R-rated kaleidoscopic and fearless comedy. So that sounds really, really interesting to me. Wow. Um, I think it's fascinating that we seem to be at this moment culturally where the Underground Railroad is really coming into more prominence uh, from a pop culture perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the book Underground Railroad. There's also a book called Underground Airline that is a counterfactual narrative that posits that the Civil War was never fought and that ra- uh, slavery is still legal in four states. But technology has advanced, so now they call the Underground Railroad the Underground Airline. I've not read either of those two books. There's also a TV show mm-hmm. on, like, I don't know what network, like the CW or something called Underground. So it's clear that we're having a cultural moment, and I'm very interested to see how this fits in with the, the dynamic. Uh, as I mentioned already, these two artists are from Philadelphia. They have worked with Pig Iron, who I think we've talked about on the podcast from, from before. Love Some them. super quirky, weird performance artists. So I cannot wait to see this, um, and I'm also slightly terrified of it. <laughs> I have to say, yeah, I, I, I'm just sort of like, I, and again, I, I don't think we know to what, as you said, to what degree the audience participates in the game, but I'm just imagining if I'm like, if I go there and I, as a white man, am placed in like the Confederacy camp, and then I'm charged with impeding the emancipation of, you know, dolls or or actual, you humans. know, three dimensional humans, like that is gonna, like I'm already like You're my throat, my throat, my throat <laughs> is closing, just th- putting myself in that. I, that, but but uh, it could be incredibly powerful. Um, I and have my fingers crossed that it will be. And it's Ars Nova, so I'm also sure that um, you know they are sort of the, uh, along with Soho Rap, sort of the the reigning champions of subverting expectations uh, theatrically. So I'm sure there's a lot of other aspects to this show that we can't even fathom. Exactly. Um, man, this sounds great. Yeah. So this is at Ars Nova, September 13th through the. Uh, through October 15th, opening September 26th. The tickets are $35, but Ars Nova has a great program where they really steeply discount their preview tickets. So week one is $15, week two is $25. And last I checked yesterday, there were still tickets available in those early weeks. So a very affordable show. Okay, I'm going to now talk about the newness uh, of the fall season in New York. Uh, so one of my favorite uh, playwrights, um, whose name, uh, those of you not super plugged into the American theater scene, uh, probably don't know, uh, one of my favorite playwrights is uh, Deepika Guha. She is um, a playwright who uh, has a unbelievably unique voice. And she's one of these playwrights who's anomalous in the sense that she has she's an incredibly prolific playwright, um, young, and has been produced all over the country and has never been really produced in New York. She's been part of 8,000 fellowships and writers groups here in New York, uh, including the Women's Project. Uh, and 
Uh, she is this fall having her um, New York debut of one of her plays called Mechanics of Love that's going to be running for a very short run just from uh, September 8th to September 24th at the Paradise Factory, which is the sort of uh, is a small theater that's sort of next door to La Mama on uh, East 4th Street, that sort of like row of theaters um, that's down there. And the reason that I want to share my excitement about this play and uh, I think more specifically about Dipika is that there's something about the way that she writes that is the closest I've seen in her generation of theatrical surrealism, but not in an immersive or, you know, sort of sleep no more kind of quality. Um, what she does, I mean, she writes, you know, very sort of traditional straightforward plays, this play is uh, about a, a two couples, um, who, uh, and it sort of begins with an introduction of one of the characters, uh, one of the men, who is described as the man who forgets everything. And over the course of the play, his tendency to forget things makes him forget that he is married and makes him marry someone else. And then his forgetfulness becomes sort of like a plague amongst these four people. And everyone starts to forget. And it turns into what can be described in a very sort of surface level way as a bed hopping farce. But it is so not, I don't, I want you to get all of the, you know, nonsense, silly farces out of your head when I say that phrase. The, if you, take what I'm saying and layer in what I'm also saying about the surrealism of Dipika's writing, there is something about this play, and I've seen readings of it before, that creates in your mind as you're watching it the sensation of what it feels like to forget something, truly forget something important. Um, not to the, necessarily to the degree of, you know, um, Alzheimer's or something like that, but the ways in which our minds are malleable and that our own perspectives on who we are and the choices we make, how sort of malleable and, and subjective they are. So there's something about the way she writes that I really am excited that New York audiences are getting a chance to finally see. And it, it's, it, there's something mind-expanding about the work that she's doing. And I know that this is just the first of many times she's going to be in New York. So I guess what I'm saying is see this play at the Paradise Factory and you'll get on the ground floor of what this artist is up to. And I guarantee you, you will be at the very least, intrigued by um, how this person writes. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, it sounds intriguing. I will say we're going to cover that for our mid-September pod, so I'm really excited to see it. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, tickets are $18, and again, it's a short run, so if, if, I've, if I've piqued your interest, get the tickets now. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So as Leslie Headland's layover plays at second stage, Bachelorette is coming back to New York. Yay. <laughs> It's going to be done in a very short run at Walker Space from September 8th to the 17th. And I know this is what comes at the end, but then I'll forget. What has got me really excited about this revival is that I think it might be like one of the very first revivals of mm. the show. Mm. But also uh, the uh, producer, Carly J. Bauer, just recently produced one of my favorite things that I've seen all year long, which was Broken City Wall Street. So they're doing like... Uh, a uh, slightly immersive take on Bachelorette. Like, e the way they describe it is that the audience is going to be, like, uh, right there in the room with the girls. You know, it's not going to be just, like, a traditional, like, audience performer situation, but they want to get, like, people really, really, really involved. I interviewed the director, Hannah T. Wolf. She has a background in improv, so she's, she said she was really, really excited about giving the actors... Uh, in the show, the opportunity to, you know, like to, to do some comedy and some 
to play on how because the characters in the show are pretty uh, dark. They do pretty uh, crazy things, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so she, and it's also, she mentioned that the entire creative team is uh, women. So that's also like another awesome thing. And something that's completely, completely not, it has nothing to do with the show, but also made me very excited, was that uh, the director, besides being you know an improv comedian director, she also makes ch chocolate. She has her chocolate company, <laughs> and she's going to be, I asked her, she's going to be, uh, they're going to be selling her chocolate at the uh, concessions when you go see the show. Perfect. Again, it's a very, 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 very short run. Okay. So I would say get tickets. Tickets are like, I don't, I don't remember, so never mind. But they're, they're very affordable. That play is so funny. Well, I'm also going to talk about an immersive show. This one is called Versailles 2016. Did any of you guys see Versailles 2015? I did. No. Okay, so this is a play conceived by Aaron Mee and Jesse Bear, written by Charles Mee and Jesse Bear, and directed by Aaron Mee. So I think there are a lot of Chuck Mee fans out there. Um, this is written in part by him and produced by This Is Not a Theater Company, and it takes place in an actual apartment. They produced a version of it back in 2015 that I think was very well received. Then they took it out like to somewhere in the Hudson Valley and did it, and I think it was very popular. So now they're bringing it back to New York City for just four days, two days in late September, the 24th and 25th, and then two days in late October, and the tickets are $25. So in terms of topic... My impression is that this takes place in a very fancy apartment because I think it addresses elitism and wealth and power and who really holds those things. But my sense is that you enter and break into small groups and different scenes take place in different rooms, mm -hmm. um, including the kitchen and the bathroom and the living room. And it talks about uh, gentrification and the global crisis that we're having from, from a socioeconomic perspective um, sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I saw the uh, Versailles 2015. Interesting is the right word for it. It's, it's you know, I, I've been to immersive productions in all sorts of shapes and sizes of spaces, but this was, I think, the most intimate. Wait, you did see it? I did see it, yeah. Oh, I didn't I thought you shook your head oh, no. Oh, no, no, I, I did. I like, no. Oh, did you enjoy it? <laughs> yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, very much so. It's, oh. it's, a, it's an interesting sensation. I'd be interested to see if they're going to have it in a different location uh, than the one they did last year. Uh, because, uh, actually, I, I won't say anything else because I don't want to give away um, where I went last time. Um, is my description approaching accurate? A completely accurate, okay. yes. Absolutely uh, is about gentrification. It's also about... And would you recommend it? I absolutely would. I've both for, I think, it, it is a very... You mentioned like there's a, a scene that takes place in a bathroom, in uh -huh. an apartment, and that is a very intimate thing. And what, how that how that manifests itself is not for those of you who are like like very not touchy feely when it comes to theater yeah. it's actually it, it don't be worried about that it's it's actually it's very gentle um, but also very effective and achieves an intimacy that I would 
is is the the softest, de- most delicate type of intimacy I've ever experienced um, in in a way that they're, they're not trying to get you. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, and even sometimes in immersive shows, you get that feeling that like we're gonna trap you in this room and make it feel stuff. That's <laughs> not what this is, um, and I really like that. The other thing to say is that it is also very New York centric. I, I, I was interested to hear what the Hudson Valley was like because it, a lot of the if it can be called a plot, or the focus of, of Versailles is about n- New York gentrification specifically. And how p- I was really impressed by how plugged in it the show is to the actual history, both sort of ancient and contemporary, of gentrification in New York. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you can swing it, check this out. Um, I, really, I, I had a great time at it. Hmm, that's very reassuring because, as you know, I'm a little frightened by all immersive theater and anything that breaks that fourth wall down. But there was even something about the way the press materials were crafted that led me to that same conclusion, which is that, yes, you're in these intimate spaces and, yes, it's immersive, but it didn't sound, just the way they were describing it, it didn't seem hostile. It didn't sound like it was intended to, like, embarrass or put the participants on display or to distract from the acting there's also yes and to that end i'll also say that there's also one of the things that i that i was pleased that is sort of missing from this that is common in a lot of immersive theater is you don't get that voyeuristic sense of like oh i'm watching something i shouldn't be watching Mm -hmm. like oh i'm watching these this couple fight or i'm watching this guy get murdered you know it's none of that and so you don't feel creepy that way either it actually is incredibly inviting the way that it's I, i can't say too much about why that is you'll have to experience it but just rest assured it's not it it, it successfully manages to strip away a lot of what's fucking annoying about immersive theater particularly Hmm. site-specific immersive theater that sounds great okay wow i'm so glad that you saw that jack me too okay so now i get to conclude my list with the thing that i think i'm most excited for um at least in september if not the fall way to build the momentum to a crescendo and now this um this is uh, taking place uh, at uh, my friends and yours, New York Theater Workshop, um, who I believe is uh, sort of <laughs> this season is kind of be known as the James Bond Othello season. Um, that's sort of the highlight of their fall um, is uh, the uh, the production of Othello that Sam Gold is directing with Daniel Craig and David Oyelowo. But I'm bef- taking a stand and not going. Oh, you got I want to go so bad. It's going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> but I'm even more excited about a play called Nat Turner in Jerusalem. This is by one of my absolute favorite playwrights who, like Deepika Guha, who I mentioned before with Mechanics of Love, is someone whose name you likely don't know yet, but you will. And this is his New York debut. I believe this is this this is certainly his first professional production in New York. Nathan Allen Davis is the playwright I'm talking about. He uh, recently was uh, one of the 2050 fellows at New York Theater Workshop, which is sort of their early career writer-director lab that they have been running for a while. Um, This, I believe, is the first fellow that's ever been fully produced at New York Theatre Workshop, which is an exciting Mm. first for them. Um, I saw a reading of this uh, several months ago and was one of the best readings I've seen in years. It is, um, as the title Nat Turner in Jerusalem would suggest, uh, this is a two-hander that takes place in the August of 1831. There's something about 19th century in me this month. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is about the very real final night of 
the life of Nat Turner, uh, who, of course, led the slave, slave uprising. And it is about the final night uh, when he is in a jail in uh, Jerusalem, Virginia, and he is being interviewed by a white lawyer named Thomas Gray. Uh, Thomas Gray actually published um, uh, excerpts of part of that conversation that he had with Nat Turner on that night. Um, and Nathan found it and has been sort of writing around that ever since. Uh, and what is extraordinary about this play is, look, Nat Turner, the historical figure, is no stranger to, to pop culture, is no stranger to, he's been portrayed on television and in films. Um, and a new film. A new film um, that is uh, sort of like, uh, is sort of the, the hot um, sort of independent film of, of the moment, The Birth of a Nation, um, and, uh, and certainly has been on stage before. But when I saw this reading that Nathan wrote, um, and by the way, both of the actors who I saw in that reading are actually going to be in the production. That's oh, Philip James Brannon and Rowan Vickers. Um, it is the most startling, uncomfortable, glorious presentation of um, Nat Turner that I've ever seen on a stage. It, uh, for those who don't know the details of it, uh, Nat Turner led this slave rebellion that resulted in the deaths of, among um, several um, sort of white adults, also um, his uprising killed several children. And uh, Nat Turner, uh, when speaking to uh, this, this white lawyer, spoke about the fact that he had received a prophecy from God to do this, that God wanted him to do this and wanted him to kill these people um, for the greater good of his race. So... This play kind of takes Nat Turner to task in a way that I've never seen before, just in this in the sort of the grand sense of like how far are you willing to go for a revolution, for a cause that is just? Or can you commit unjust acts or what can be perceived as unjust acts for a just end? It also lionizes Nat Turner as I think being uh, rather than just a, a guy like you know leading a rebellion I think it also highlights Nat Turner's intelligence um, his cunning um, his uh, sense of diplomacy and uh, you know wasn't just a guy taking up arms was also there there was something very tactical both morally and physically about what that uprising did it's just an unbelievably complex portrait of a American figure, an American hero that we think we know. And for that reason alone, not to mention the performances are outstanding, particularly Philip James Brandon, who plays, is going to play um, Nat Turner himself. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, I think that in, a, in an age when we are polarized in so many ways in America, particularly when it comes to race, uh, there is something so refreshing about something that portrays um, sort of the, the, the legendary figures uh, in America as, as human beings, rather than as these cardboard cutouts of whatever movement you support at the moment. You know what I mean? It's like there's something about giving these figures a three-dimensional quality that I think is, does right by history and also does right by art. I'm really looking forward to that play. It's 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 pretty. It's going to make you think a lot of things. Um, no matter what your opinion of Nat Turner going in uh, is going into this production, it will change. I I, pr I promise you, it will change, wow. or it will be clarified in in some ways. Um, and by the way, just that. So there's just that. But Nathan Allen Davis is such an extraordinary writer. Um, I've been crazy about him for a, a couple of years now. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I, this is the first time that most people in New York are going to chance to see him. It will not be the last. But this is going to be a really spectacular show, I think. Great. Cool. One of the uh, most fun things that I've ever done 
since I moved to New York was go to one of the uh, New York Shakespeare ex uh, Exchange uh, Shakespeare pop crawls, which uh, are crazy because uh, I, I like that they do individual Shakespeare scenes in different bars, and obviously you're drinking all along, but they do individual scenes from different plays. And uh, what's so wonderful about the 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 team and like the actors and the directors is that you don't need to know the play very well or you don't need to like see the rest of the scenes to just like have a great time and just like love whatever it is they're doing. It, the beer might have something to do with it <laughs> and also like being so close to the actors. But anyway, this uh, month they're doing um, a special edition on September 10th because they're teaming up with the first ever Irish theater festival. So they're going to be doing an Irish themed Shakespeare pub crawl. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like fun. And I'm going to cheat and also plug one of the shows from the Irish um, theater festival, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, it's an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's The Birds that Connor McPherson's doing. And this was, I've never actually read the short story that it's based on, but I think most people have seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie, which was to, to many, like, the last good movie he did, and then he went, like, down. I don't agree with that, but that's what a lot of people say. Yeah. And it mostly had to do with, like, the birds, because they were, like, fucking terrifying. Yes, <laughs> super terrifying. Yeah, but, like, now imagine, like, this on stage, and I've seen clips from this uh, production on YouTube, and the entire thing takes place in a house, so I, I don't think there will be any birds. It's just about the uh, paranoia that goes on when you have like uh, a man and a woman trapped in this house hiding from the birds. And then suddenly someone goes to the house asking for, for refuge. So it's about the whole paranoia that this person brings. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but it made me think about like the whole political scene right. at the moment. And I mean, birds are terrifying. Pigeons are terrifying. Yes, so, they are. Yeah. Especially so, in mass. Yeah. And yes. cool. I, it's exciting that Connor McPherson is writing that because one, first of all, one of my favorite playwrights, The Weir, um, the play that uh, Irish rep just um, revived last year, one of my favorite plays ever. And there's some, Connor is so good at creating a sense of dread in the theater. So him doing an adaptation of The Birds is just... I might be too scared to go. <laughs> I might be too scared to go. Uh, but of course I'll go. That's going to be amazing. Cool. And uh, the bird says at 59E59, e and the Shakespeare pop girls uh, go to their website because I don't remember where, the, where it starts, but it's all the bars are in um, Hell's Kitchen. How do the tickets work for that? You pay a single price up front and you get the show and the beer, or you pay as you go for the beer? You pay a single uh, price, and then you get tickets. And then you uh, get a drink at each. Drink you, tickets. Yeah. Got it. You can use all your drinks at once or save a drink per bar. You just get uh. loaded from the first instance. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fuck that up. For you. <laughs> I'm going to fuck that up. Okay. I want to talk about a new show from our faves, The Civilians. Um, this is their second show at BAM. They did a show last year there. They're doing another one this year called The Undertaking. And it is about the journey between this planet and the underworld. They, as always, this will involve uh, actual excerpts from 
interviews they've done and some of the interviewees include shamans, morticians, philosophers, and mystics. Um, I understand this is a two-hander where they sort of explore death and passage to the afterlife or is there an afterlife? We don't know. Who knows? But I'm kind of curious about this in part. Well, I mean, the civilians. I love them. I don't think I've ever been disappointed by them, so I will always go see their shows. But I'm particularly interested in this one because they did an immersive show. I don't know if either of you saw this called Be the Death of Me, which Mm. was an installation performance piece that talked about life and death. And so I feel like this is a space where Steve and his counterparts in the civilians have had some success in the past on this particular topic. So I'm hopeful that this is going to be one of their sort of standout pieces. It is only a few performances, September 21st through the 25th. The tickets are $25. And then for folks listening who are not in the New York metropolitan area, this is traveling to North Carolina to Duke and then also to Paris. So Parisian listeners get your tickets. I don't know if they're on sale. Do we have any Parisian listeners? That'd be amazing. I doubt it. Oh, man. I mean, sure, why not? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One team, one dream. Let's get them. Now, I... I, I want to mention some more shows, if you guys will indulge me. Yeah, I might, I might hop in, too. are so many shows happening that yes. I had the hardest time paring down my list. There are several. And um, some of which have been mentioned on the podcast before that are now finally here. They're bringing their productions here. So I'm just going to run through a bunch really fast. So, number one, The Wolves from Playwrights Realm, uh, Sarah Delapi. Did I say her Delap. name? Delap. Right? The E is silent. Mm-hmm. This was up at the Powerhouse, uh, powerhouse and now it's coming here. It's about a women's soccer team. So excited. Very excited. Um, also, part of the first Irish festival, Bears in Space at 59E59 by Owen Quinn from the Irish theater company Collapsing Horse. It's some kind of weird puppet show that sounds totally nuts about two bears in space let's do it uh the jam by jay stephen brantley who we talked about on the podcast before big fans of his has a show going up at the crane um aubergine by julia cho playwrights horizons i'm seeing great feedback about that show on twitter and i've heard it is beautiful so very excited for that the crossing the line festival starts in late september this is the uh, festival, the French Institute Alliance Francaise, pardon my accent. There are so many great things happening at that. Caught by Christopher Chen from the play company at La Mama. That actually opens technically in August, so I'm cheating a little bit. But I think we're going to talk about that on our mid-September podcast. And it did just get extended, mm-hmm. so you still have a chance to see it. Yeah. Taryn Simon has a show at the Armory. And then finally, I want to mention Room 4, which is by a writing duo named Marina and Nico at the Pit. This is a show I've seen already. They're bringing it back. It's a waiting for Godot in an audition room with four black men infinitely auditioning for drug dealer number two over and over and over. And it is hilarious and damning and highlights one of the challenges that black men face pursuing careers in acting. I highly recommend it. And I'm pretty sure the tickets for that are super cheap. All right. Sorry. So long winded. 
But no. there's so, I mean, so I really want to see every single one of these shows. I think I have tickets for almost all of them. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm, I took I'm looking. I all the shows. Sorry. I, if there are other things you I, guys want to mention, please I, I proceed. I actually kind of do because this is what we're doing here. Um, I'm excited for the kickoff of um, the uh, the Bushwick Stars season. Shasta mm-hmm. Go Pop mm-hmm. is doing a, a few nights there um, at the beginning of September. Um, you know. There's stuff happening at the public theater as well. Should oh, you yeah. want to come down there, including um, Labor this uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, the mighty return of the Public Works pageant, yep. um, Shana Taub and Kwame Kwarama's Twelfth Night, which is outstanding. Um, if you want to come join us there, um, I know that TJ and Dave, for those of us uh, who are comedy uh, and uh, improv fans, the legendary duo TJ and Dave, they're coming back. Yep, they're doing uh, a few dates uh, in September at the Barrow Street Theater. Um, If you like improv, you have not seen improv until you have seen Mm -hmm. the mighty Chicago duo that is TJ and Dave. They're the best. I'm going on September 23rd. And then um, do we even need at this point to mention our friend Taylor Mack? I know. And the fact that uh, St. Anne's Warehouse is doing, um, is ramping up to the actual, we're finally here, 24-hour History of popular music that, that Taylor's been working on for years and years. I am going to the 24-hour concert. You I have are. my ticket. I have Yay, my ticket. I'm so happy to hear that, Jack. October, I'm going to. October 8th. 8th. Yes, that's, that's Saturday, 24 hours. Sleeping bags. Going to be great. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you're going because I, I wasn't sure if you were. Okay, we're going to have so, We're going to have so much fun. But if you can't dedicate the full 24 hours or the $400 to going, which I totally understand, even though it is a very cheap per hour entertainment fee, um, there are, he is doing the segments throughout um, September and October. So you can build up. Even if the the durational aspect of it is too much for you, go see a couple of the iterations, a couple of the, you know, sort of uh, batches of decades that Taylor's doing. I mean, it's just, it's, you've heard us literally talk about this for years. Yes. If you haven't gotten on the Taylor Mac 24 hour bandwagon, get your ass on it and we'll see you there. Yes. Here, Jose, here. Anything, anything else you else? want to throw out? I feel else? like you sent over a long list. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but then I narrowed that. But I mean, well, I, I have something to, to say. Uh, my name's Jose, and I like magic shows. <laughs> yeah! Hi, Jose. Yeah. Hi. Wow, so, uh, a daring admission on the podcast. I know, right? And this is something that I recently discovered, and it's actually this guy's fault that I'm about to mention, uh, Helder Guimaraes. I saw his show at uh, Signature, I think, a few years ago, Nothing to Hide, that he did with uh, another, is magician the right word? I don't know. Uh, another magician, uh, illusionist, I don't know, Derek Delgaudio. Yeah. And uh, Neil Patrick Harris directed that. Right. Oh, yeah, people raved about that. Yeah, I always thought that magic shows were so cheesy and that I was too mature for them. I, oh, God, I was like a child. Yeah. It was amazing. It was so much fun. It was very smart. I actually wanted to be asked to participate, yeah. and that has never happened to me before. <laughs> so anyway, Helder uh, Guimaraes is bringing his new show called Verso to New World Stages, and it opens uh, sept- starts previous, I'm sorry, on September 19th. And he's billed as like one of the greatest close-up artists in the world, which I think means he does card stuff and like there's cameras but he's yeah. he's I don't know I don't know how he does it and I think that's what theater should do we should yeah. be like how do they do that so yeah I'm really excited about Verso yeah close up magic for those who don't know is it's like I, I'm not huge to magic but close up magic I am because it's we're not talking about the David Copperfield giant Vegas stage and like you know giant 
bolts of fabric and disappearing cages like that <laughs> illusion stuff. We're talking about like audience members sit at the same table as him and he does disappearing and card tricks and coin tricks and things like that that blow your freaking mind off. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to that too. I'm going to Verso as well. I can't wait. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, we all have a lot of shows to get out yes. and see. Get to it. September is going to be fantastic. Get to it. Thanks, guys. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Max Smooth Theater and Performance Podcast. Even though we mentioned 23 shows on today's episode, did we skip the show you're most excited about? Let us know on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Jose is at Jose Solis Mayen. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. We're taking next week off for Labor Day. We'll see you the following week when we discuss which of these shows we actually made it to and what we thought about them. See you then. Theatrical Media 